So we're continuing our series today on uh, living letters, exploring the biblical roots of vineyard values. And our vineyard value today is to reconcile uh, people with God and all creation. And the particular way we're going to talk about that today is through the lens of our ethnic story, our ethnic heritage, reconciling God with that ourselves and also between one another. And we thought this would be a great time to have some voices come up and to share. Uh, so uh, one of the things that is really exciting is to see some people that have been around for a little bit uh, tell us their story. Uh, if you've read uh, some of the Bible, one of the coolest verses, I think, is one that says, we defeat the enemy by the power of the blood, Jesus' sacrifice, which seems kind of like normal. In terms of like, okay, this is kind of how it works. But also uh, by the testimony of our stories, just by who we are. So I'm going to uh, have Indu, Trinity, and Cindy share. They'll come up one by one. And I want us to really right now just give them a warm round of applause. They can just know we're feeling the love. We love them. We support them. I'm going to have uh, Endu come up first, and he's going to share with us. Good afternoon, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, oh, someone just waved at me. That was nice. Um, yeah, it's a, privilege, it's a privilege to be able to talk with y'all, to speak with you guys, to be a part of this community. Um, one thing that I've actually always enjoyed about our community uh, is our the love of fantasy and superheroes. Um, if you look around, I'm pretty sure uh, most people here subscribe to Disney Plus. People love Marvel, DC, um, and I love it uh, because I've always loved superheroes. Um, one thing that all superheroes have in common is an origin story. Um, and funny enough, Josh actually has a great message on origin stories. So if you go back online, maybe check it out. Uh, hopefully it's up there, media team. Um, and Josh... We're still waiting for the book. Uh, ask him about it. It'll bless him. Um, so when I think about my origin story, uh, I couldn't talk to you about my origin story unless I talked to you about my relationship with my cultural identity uh, and specifically my name. Uh, and to get that out of the way, my name is Ndubisi Okeke. I'm Nigerian-American. Uh, and I'm ethnically Igbo. So growing up in Baltimore with this distinctly and inescapably Igbo name uh, was kind of tough. Um, even though there was this remnant of Nigerian immigrants in Baltimore uh, where, that I would be around and, you know, who could say my name right, there was a way that this issue felt inescapable, felt overwhelming. Uh, my closest friends, my teammates growing up would mispronounce my name all the time. Uh, authority figures would spend years, an entire year, uh, hopelessly wrong about my name. I've had parent-teacher conferences about my name. Um, in the ignorant years, you guys know the ignorant years, uh, there was lots of laughter and lots of name-calling and lots of bullying. 
And you know, it was really tough. Uh, it actually was really tough. Uh, even as I wrote this, I realized that I actually have some more healing to do. There's some places that, that God needs to touch. Um, and that's because name is connected to your identity. Um, yesterday, I took myself out on a date just for me, loving myself, dinner and a movie. Um, and uh, I saw Shang-Chi. And I was just like, you know what? I'm preparing for this thing, ethnic. I'm just like, this movie might speak to me. And it did. Um, uh, Shang-Chi's father, uh, when uh, at one point in the movie, asked Aquafina's character what her Chinese name is. And she tells him. Um, and he says something to the effect of names are sacred. They connect us to everyone that came before us. Names are connected to and they're markers of our identity. And I know this for a fact because I remember the thoughts that I used to have as I was going through these things. I remember dreading to meet new people. What it would mean to add to the Rolodex a new person that had an awkward interaction uh, or potentially just like not accept me because my first interaction was just too much to handle. Uh, I remember trying to kick the ball a little harder in kickball. I remember trying to run a little faster. I remember trying to do a little better in school, um, all in hopes that it would cover for, all in hopes that it would make up for. Because who I was needed a little bit of a modifier me as I was didn't go down too smooth and that wasn't okay. Um, who am I? Do I have space here just as I am? These are questions at the very core of my identity. I also know names are linked to identity because they've been used to break identity. Whether it be countless black bodies in this country's history who have had names beaten out of them, or in the scripture, uh, where we more famously know Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, names given to them by their Babylonian overlords who besieged their city and took them as slaves. Well, we've gotten heavy. And yes, rightfully so, because what we're actually talking about is the curse of sin. The curse of sin utterly fractures relationship to our identity. The curse of sin brings us out of right relationship with ourselves, with our history, with each other. It takes us out of right relationship with God and all of creation. We are, I am, in desperate need to restore friendly relations with myself, with my history, with you. I'm in desperate need of reconciliation, the vineyard value that has us here today. So, Ndubisi, you are grown, what happened? Well, honestly, out of nowhere, it kinda got lit. It kinda got fun. Um, I don't know whether it was cultural curiosity or what, uh, but right around the time I got to college, the music, the food, the dance uh, suddenly began to grow in popularity. Um, 
And people like me began to realize that we had very similar stories and it created this kind of kinship. It began to become valuable to me and people around me that my name had meaning uh, and that I could touch my heritage. Uh, and with that little window of light, I decided I would fall in. I decided that these would be my people, that I would be Igbo, maybe even Igbo before anything else. Uh, it would be a refuge and it'd be a haven for people still not getting my name right and the everyday indignities of what that meant. But if we're being clear, what we're talking about is falling into culture, falling into human culture, customs, expectation, ways of being, for better or for worse. Culture dictates what's good and what's bad, what's praiseworthy and what's shameful. Getting a degree from Johns Hopkins, praiseworthy. Uh, choosing to go to Uganda two years, I mean, a year right after getting that degree, getting paid almost nothing. Side eyes. He's making a mistake. Convince him to be a doctor. Getting a dual degree at Yale, back on track, praiseworthy. Staying in New Haven, working for a local nonprofit, not coming home back to my community right after. It's a little iffy. It's a little iffy. And so my endeavors for identification with my own culture and my own heritage have been shaky. If X is what gets me acceptance and welcome and I do Y, what is left for me? More questions that fragment identity. What's left is a truth that is a gut punch for someone like me, for someone who has my story. Human culture, my culture, is under the curse of sin as well. And it's painfully limited in its ability to tell me who I am. And also an invitation to believe that I have an identity even more central to me, a God-given identity ordained before the curse of sin. The worst part, because human culture is under this curse of sin, it may and most likely get in the way, stand in the way of my true identity, my God-given identity. My mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters, may stand against me being reconciled to God. The people that my blood have given me, even as they sing my name just right, and they eat the foods that are a part of my bones. My true identity, my God-given identity. An identity tied to a kingdom, a nation, a language, a culture, all belonging to and set by God. That ties me to people, that bounds me to people through an incorruptible and unsullied blood. Because of the curse of sin, we can, I can mistrust this kingdom, 
and liken it to the other powers that I've seen before. Other powers that try to tell us, try to tell me who I am and guide us, guide me in a certain way. After all, God also promises to change our names. Oh, hallelujah. Um, am I losing myself? But the question is, what do I believe? What do we believe about God? Is he my very author like he says he is? Does he have a preeminent and definitive knowledge and direction on how to navigate this world like he says he does? Is his kingdom and his way unshakable like he says it is? And will these things be shown through his people like he says it will? And funny enough, in his generosity, my culture is a part of my true identity. It just isn't and can't be the foundation of my identity because my culture has no framework to restore my confidence and to help me love myself and to tell me without a shadow of a doubt that what I have in my hands is enough, that I am enough, even while people butcher my name to the left of me and I do not meet cultural expectations to the right. Considering what God promises about his kingdom, about his people, the church, about you and I, we fall painfully short a lot. Yet somehow the call and the invitation remain. Multi-ethnic church is only possible because based on the promises of God, our identity in him should be able to hold and hold well, lovingly, consciously, respectfully, every other identity that's been given to us by God, including one as near and dear as a cultural identity, as my cultural identity. Our right identity in him is the reconciliation that puts every other piece, every other place, every other thing in our life in order and any other hierarchy puts us at further risk of fragmentation by the curse of sin. And so what is the hope of multi-ethnic church, the hope of ethnicity? That it's grounded in a God-given identity that allows us to interact with all parts of ourselves with a love and a curiosity that transcends what it means to be mere human beings but what it actually means to be sons and daughters of God. Thank y'all so much. Hello, everyone. It is an honor to be speaking with you all and to be in the middle of an Indu and Cindy sandwich. <laughs> I'm a part of uh, the ECV community here, and I've just been living in New Haven a little over a year. But multi-ethnic community has been important to me because I have been able to love others better 
and receive love for myself in the working out space of this community. God has taught me how I am able to love my body um, and step out of the center of the story as a white person. For me, this starts growing up in a different country where there were few white folk and I easily accepted the title as the white kid. As I moved to the US and became part of different communities and learned and lived the story of racial brokenness in the United States, um, my relationship to my identity and also to my physical body began to change. And it started to feel different. My body actually started to feel like a weapon holding power over others. And Jesus has taught me a lot about power. Sometimes having to reclaim power after it has been taken away, and sometimes having to release power after it has been unrightfully given to you. In John 4, we read the story of the woman at the well. If you want to turn to John 4, feel free. In this story, we often highlight the revealing of this, this woman having five husbands. Um, we weirdly highlight that part. But actually, I think it has a story of power in it. So the story of John 4 opens with Jesus, a Jewish male, coming to a well where there's a Samaritan woman. And he goes up to the Samaritan woman and he asks for a drink of water. Um, in this cultural space, we can assume a dynamic between male and female, right? There's a power dynamic going on. You can probably, Jesus and the Samaritan woman can probably like feel the power dynamic of females not be, being given as much um, right or authority than males. So in verse 9, the Samaritan woman, after Jesus asked for a drink, said, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So in this scenario, Jesus, as he sometimes does in conversations, prevents, presents first not from a place of power, but actually with a physical need, right? He asks for a drink of water. And in verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Later in this story, the woman experiences the revelation of God through Jesus. And she is ecstatic about it. And she runs back to her community and she shares all about this Jesus who she met, who reveals himself as God to her. And Jesus, in the stories, um, a lot of his ministry, we can assume, is wanting to reveal himself as God. Like, that is a lot of his purpose on earth. And so he could have easily, like, walked to this community himself and shared the word. Um, but there was an actual power in this woman using her voice um, to go and speak to her people. What I learned from Jesus is that what is restorative to my brother and sister is also restorative to me. And I think this is true in multi-ethnic communities. So as my story of my white identity and community continues, 
I find myself in college in a student-led faith community and also meeting weekly with a freshman in a mentorship position. So I'm in college um, and I'm meeting weekly with, with this freshman and we're starting to bond. I think it's going great. I'm so excited to be talking with her. And just talking about faith is like one of my favorite things ever. And so I'm loving this relationship. Um, and I'm loving the community I'm in. Um, and in one of our meetings, she comes up to me and in the midst of, yeah, so to set the scene, this is also happening in 2018 where there are highlighted cases of police brutality towards black men and women in America. And in one of our meetings, the woman I was mentoring, a black woman comes up to me and she asks, why are we not talking about this? Our community was passive and showed that while we claim to be multi-ethnic and we claim to be a loving community, it still showed that white skin and bodies still held so much power and centrality. During my many leader conversations with her, um, with our leadership team and other members of the community, I, in my white body, wanted to run away. I wanted to disengage. I wanted to leave my body and my white skin and all of the stories that it carried. But as we did the working out of our multi-ethnic community, where we valued the reconciling love of Jesus and the stories and the pain and suffering of our brothers and sisters, and we continued to decentralize white folks, including me, I was led into repentance seasons of grief for my community, and also greater love, as I loved others well and felt something like restored to me also. So in these like reconciling communities we're a part of, there is something restored to us all. And I feel like God actually naming and calling my body good has been something new for me in these seasons. Um, and God also calling and naming me into deeper peacemaking. So I'd love to leave us with some invitations um, before I pass it off to the lovely Cindy Chen. Um, as we endeavor into this like working out of the multi-ethnic community, of like naming it as a multi-ethnic community, but also just like the working out of it. So the first is to my beloved white brothers and sisters here. In the spirit of Jesus and Jesus' teachings on power, with an open mind and heart, I would love for us um, to ask God, what space might you occupy that God might be asking you to name the power you hold and also release it? And the last invitation is for all of us. How might God be reminding you and us and our community of the goodness that is actually in our physical bodies. Thank you. Hello. Hi. 
Um, hi, my name is Cindy, um, and I have lived in New Haven for two months. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Middletown, Connecticut, and I have been so blessed by this community of ECB, even though I've only been here for like a year. Um, but it's just been like a healing experience and a wonderful experience just to be a part of this community. Um, and even engaging in topics of like multi-ethnicity and my ethnic identity. So um, I am a first generation Asian American woman and a daughter of two Chinese immigrants. Growing up, I grew up as one of the only four Asian Americans in my school. And I always struggled with who I was. Uh, in relation to the people that I was surrounded by. I spent most of my time like uh, not speaking up in class, not wanting to rock the boat, uh, being afraid of being a burden, and being taught to hide my emotions because emotions was seen as weakness. Um, my first recollection of explicit racism happened in middle school um, with a group of girls that asked me if I knew Kung Fu or like other racial comments. And uh, and I prayed and I read scripture, and as a new Christian, I thought that the Christian thing was to reconcile, right? You need to, like, reconcile and be peacemakers. Um, but in my middle school mind, uh, a reconciliation looked like for me was, what that looked like for me was apologizing for showing emotion and rocking the boat for the group. <sighs> That's really hard. Okay. <laughs> um, and I agreed to speak today. And I'm passionate about multi-ethnicity in the church because learning that God cared for my ethnic identity changed my life and healed me from stories like these. The passage I wanted to share today was 1 Corinthians 12, 12-27, where Paul, a writer in the Bible, says that we are all one body and many parts. There is diversity in the church, and we have to see all the parts in order to be the church. And it's because if we are just an eye, how can we hear? Or if we are just an ear, how can we see? Um, it talks about body parts that are weaker, that need special attention in order to participate fully in the church. Um, and for the church, like the real body, there is pain, injury, and hurt. And for example, if my ankle is hurting, like I'm not going to like keep running, right? If my ankle is hurting, I'm going to stop and I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to heal it, I'm going to wait, wait for it to like get better, and I'm going to pay special attention to that part of my body. And it wouldn't make sense for me to keep using that body part because it will lead to deeper hurt and deeper pain. And I think this happens in the church body where uh, there's people who are hurting and in pain in the body, but we feel like we keep on walking. We feel like we actually keep on running without addressing the discomfort and the pain that's happening. And I think that this is important. There's a lot of wind. <laughs> um, and as the church, I think we need to start asking the question. We need to ask the question of uh, what do we need to do to heal? And how do we pursue the wholeness of the body? And many times, we get comfortable being the injured body rather than pursuing the wholeness that God actually calls us into. We're, we're, we're great like limping and ignoring the problems rather than addressing them head on. And to be honest, I've had many ups and downs with the, my relationship with the church. I grew up in an ethnic-specific church, and then I had some ups and downs there, and I like went and seeked other churches, and I ended up here. And um, 
A lot of times I wondered why I even stay or why am I here? Is there space for me to be? Um, and time and time again, God has reminded me to like be a part of the church. Um, he's convicted me to love the church as much as I want to run away from it. I pursued the multi-ethnic church because a church is a gift. And God called that a gift and a manifestation of his body to the world. And I want to experience the wholeness of what God promises me as his daughter. And so that is why I like choose to like be in the church and like love the church because actually God has promises for us as one body. And it wasn't until I wrestled and with these questions and brought my ethnic identity to Jesus that I was able to reconcile with God and know deeply that my Asian-Americanness matters. That the gospel, the gospel is good news for people who look like me and for my family. Um, growing up, I like, grew up in a non-Christian family, and my family still doesn't believe in Jesus. Um, and like, I, I always wondered, like, is the gospel really good news for them? Um, and like after experiencing and exploring my ethnic identity and multi-ethnicity, I've come to realize that God cares and God sees my story. That God sees my pain and wants my story to be seen. And that because of the reconciliation I have done with God, I'm able to be proud of who I am and where I come from. Um, if it wasn't for exploring my ethnic identity, I wouldn't recognize I, keep, I come from a deep culture of resilience, strength, and deep love. The deep love of sacrifice and service of my family and those who came before me. Um, because of that love, I'm able to experience Jesus' deep and sacrificial love for me. Another passage that has been with me is the story of the Canaanite woman, an outcast of the Jewish society who had this really weird interaction with Jesus, talking about bread and like dogs and tables, um, <laughs> a lot of just weird things. Um, and Jesus, I mean, she approaches Jesus and takes up space because she knows that she deserves a seat at the table. She knows the deep truth that God actually promises to welcome Gentiles or people who are not Jewish into the family of God. And she actually says, she goes up to Jesus and demands a spot there. Um, and because she knows the deep promise that God promises to reconcile people to God and each other. And as I've struggled with my Asian Americanness and wanting to speak up, God has actually challenged me to take up space and trust and believing that God sees me. That God actually promises a spot at the table for me and that there's room for me to be there and for, for room to be like my whole self and not just parts of me. And to close, as we approach the table and believe the promises of God, my words for the church is that as we pursue being one body, we will make mistakes and we will need repentance. Uh, Jesus knew that, and he still decided to share the table with us. And the Spirit has given me courage to take my seat, and God invited me to the table. So I pray that you receive also the courage to sit at the, at the table where Jesus invites us to be reconciled to who God has created us to be, to be reconciled to him, and to be reconciled to each other. Um, that you're not too far off to come back or to come to the table for the first time. And we might be approaching the table needing to turn to Jesus in brokenness. And some might be approaching the table being hurt and maybe not being, needing repentance but needing healing. Um, and so as we take our seats at the table as one multi-ethnic community, 
I pray that we're able to come in the fullness of who we are and that we could become the fuller picture of who, call, uh, who God calls us to be. And so right now, we're actually going to be like doing something as one body to do that. Uh, we're going to be taking part of communion. Um, and I'm going to invite Josh or Patrick up <laughs> to lead us in communion. Thank you. Thank you so much, you all. Uh, when we are invited to the table by people who are doing that willingly, even with some risk and sacrifice, I think we should celebrate that. So one more time, let's celebrate Indubisi sharing, Trinity sharing, Cindy sharing. I think by them sharing, we are more and more rescued, rescued in what God wants for us in our ethnic identity, uh, in the way that we are fighting for wholeness. And there's probably something in each of their stories that spoke to you or touched you or you have questions about, you're curious now. And as Cindy shared, uh, we're at the table together. And so when we're at the table, we uh, have an opportunity to take communion. And we realize that we're at the table, all of us, through one person, Jesus. And the decision Jesus made to sacrifice, to share not only of his own story, but actually physically his body with us. In the act of the cross, like his body, his blood was emptied out for us so we could join him at the table so our own stories could be reconciled to God and to one another. So today in communion, we're going to celebrate that. We're going to mark that. If this is something you've done before, I want you to be encouraged that, yes, you get to be at the table again and with your whole self, with your ethnicity. And also, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you want to make this first step to say, Actually, I've never had this conversation without, like, division being the center of it. Like, I've never thought it could be unity in the end or reconciling in the middle. I encourage you to take communion today um, to actually step into a deeper reality of connection with God.